Welcome to the Nuco Shift Dialogues podcast. For the first season, we've selected some of the best conversations we've had throughout the year to share with you, our first listeners. These conversations were originally recorded at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center as part of our Dialogues project, where we chat with leaders on the front lines of the greatest shift in business since the Industrial Revolution. The first season of our podcast is brought to you by EY, Building a Better Working World. How do you get major companies like IBM, Starbucks, Nike, and GE to radically rethink their purpose? Keith Yamashita starts by asking companies to lead into the unknown. Welcome, Keith. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. Let's start with SY Partners. Sure. This is a business that you have been a partner in and helped found 24 years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so tell, tell me, what does SY Partners do? It's, it's really kind of been this evolution. And um, the way I best describe it now is we help people as they go through a process of transformation. So whether that's an individual trying to transform the way he or she leads, a company and how they serve the market or the difference they make in the world, or increasingly how societies function, societal impact kind mm -hmm. of work. So I'd, if I had to sum it up, I'd say we're a transformation company when one thing is trying to transform or morph into a better version of itself. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a lot of that going on right now. Um, so is, is, is business booming? Business is booming, yeah. um, mostly because the world is in such amazing flux and change. You know, whether it's new competition that is shredding markets and changing industries, or it's people really saying that they need to make a bigger impact or positive impact in the world, both those dynamics are causing lots of change in the world. And I think this understanding that you have to transform, and that's now a perpetual act. Mm -hmm. It's not a state A goes to state B anymore. It's not a before and after. It's a constant transformation. Right. Um, and I think for us, um, 23 years into this, 24 years into this, um, we're excited about those dynamics and how you bring out the kind of human aspects of change. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, all change is about human beings. Right. And um, I think that's what we focus on really. So give me a sense of who you're clients are, the ones that I, I know you can't talk sure, about, I mean, all of them. But. Yeah, so some, some clients like to talk about their transformations and some don't. But, right. um, so on the one hand, we work with Howard Schultz and the team at Starbucks, and we've been a long-term partner there as they've been on this perpetual road of kind of challenging what it means to be a public company right. and how much positive impact you can drive as a public company. We have, um, have worked a very long time with IBM, 105-year-old technology company. Right as they've gone from e-business to creating a world which is a really a smarter planet to this mm. new area of, of cognitive. We work with right. the AARP as they're trying to disrupt aging. We work with Lorreen Powell-Jobs and Russell and Ali at the super schools endeavor as they try to yeah. take on high school and reinvent the American high school. So Starbucks has been you know, in the news a lot in the last few years sure. for decisions that were made by Howard about the workforce in particular, sure. supporting the workforce, trying to get conversations going that sometimes worked and sometimes sure, didn't. Sure. But how did that assignment begin? You know, so um, you know, Howard uh, was reinstalled as CEO of Starbucks. Um, I guess it's eight and a half, almost nine years ago. Um, uh, we did not know Howard Schultz then, uh, but one of his board members we had worked with at another company, and uh, we got a. Wonderful call where they said, you know, Howard Schultz is coming into the company. He's taking over the company at a time when all the leading indicators are down. And he is going to have to kind of lead into the unknown. He's going to have to create something of Starbucks that even differs from his amazing 
time at the helm, will you come talk to him? And um, we said, sure, when he gets settled, that would be great. Um, and this board member said, no, no, I'm, I'm talking like tomorrow. Could you come <laughs> to talk to him? They were ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and we you know, just got started with him. And he is so truthful about wanting to be a very different kind of company. You know, he believes that you can drive a lot of societal value from a perch of being a, a, a for-profit company. And it's been almost a, a decade-long journey of him rewriting and remaking the purpose of that company, reinstilling it into how they innovate, making positive choices about the workforce and how the workforce works. So, you know, he so values the employees of his company. Called <coughs> when, you, when you get that phone call, uh, is it more often than not that the leader of the company is like, I have a very clear vision of where I want to go. Know, it's interesting. Or is it help me figure out, I, I have a general direction. Well, people, um, situations present in all, all ranges, but if I, if I were to do kind of a two by two about it, you know, there's, there's a, um, known problems and known solutions. And if you do that two by two, we don't typically get called for known problems and, and known solutions. Those, when it's a best practice exercise, we don't get called. The ones that we're most fascinated by are unknown problem, unknown solution, where you get a call from a leadership team that says, we're facing challenges and dynamics and forces here. We don't fully know how we want to address them yet. And we don't really know what the solution is because we don't see anyone out there who solved the problem this way. So, so we tend to get called for those kinds of engagements where you have to invent the So future. specifically in Starbucks case, if you can tell me, sure. what were the kind of problem sets that were well, being addressed. You know, it's interesting. When you have every leading indicator down, and this was a decade ago, so very different right. than the Starbucks you say today, which is such a vibrant, healthy company. But right. if you look at same-store sales, morale of the workforce, um, resonance of the brand, every leading indicator was heading down. And it wasn't so much that they didn't know they had challenges. They had many. It's that they didn't know where to pinpoint in those challenges to take action. Mm -hmm. And what would evolve, the kind of, I think, leading um, hypothesis at the time was that um, Starbucks had become oversaturated at a, as a brand. So here in New York City, you go every few blocks and there, there's a Starbucks on the corner. Right. And I think the leading hypothesis at the time is the company is too saturated. There's just too many of them. And we worked with the leadership team to, to challenge that notion and say, well, if Starbucks was really actually a part of the community, actually doing good in the world, actually a great place to work, actually a place where people can start their careers, actually a place of decency and humanity, um, and, and a new example, there'd be no such thing as too many. Right. Because business, of course, can benefit from these thinking everywhere. So there was a supposition when the problem was surfaced and Howard came back, he's like, well, clearly we have too many of them. Well, I think the leading hypothesis, and this is yeah. how sense-making happens, right? right. So, so as leaders, we always try to find, I think, the, the minimum viable explanation of what's going on. So people latch onto these memes without doing the thoughtful, introspective work about what they want to, right. want to do in the world. And right. so what I, what I admire about the Starbucks company is they perpetually renew their belief in their culture, their belief in their purpose as a company. One of the things that we worked with Howard and his team on was literally rewriting every stanza of their mission as a company, something they had not done for no, a I'm not familiar decades. with it. Can you give me maybe a concise well, you know, overview of yeah, what their so purpose is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're really about nurturing the human spirit, you know, and it really is about mm. getting that right with coffee and everyone who does, mm -hmm. uh, is the maker of the coffee, which means treating farmers ethically, allowing them to have an amazing living from doing farming, 
it's about taking that and really, really doubling down with your partners, their, their employees, right. creating a great place to work. And all the policy decisions that Starbucks has made over many, many decades are investments into this belief in their people. From that, you create amazing stores. From amazing stores, you're able to serve the community. And only if you do all of these things do we actually uh, perform for the share owner. It's important to get each one of those equations right. right. So in a world where most people are focused only on share owner value right. and don't look at the rest of the causal chain, what I admire about Starbucks is they start from the very essence of the product they make all the way through right. their people, their performance as a result of doing all of that right. Yeah. You, you mentioned Lorraine Powell Jobs. Yes, Lorraine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar, very familiar with, with her school's initiative. Can you tell us? Yeah, that? so Lorene Powell Jobs and Ruslan Ali um, from the Emerson Collective. Um, Lorene and Ruslan both have a lifelong passion for education. And Lorene's um, view of America is to create a stronger America. We have to remake and reinvent and reimagine our schools. Um, she's exceptionally gifted at as you would expect, in, in painting a new picture of the future, but not from an egocentric point at all. She's one of the most humble leaders I've worked with. She says, you know, there is an answer out there for a different kind of high school. High school is the last time you can close the gap between what a student has and what a student needs before he or she goes in the world. And so XQ, you think about IQ, used to be a big measure, and then EQ is right. a big measure. XQ is that kind of X factor, if you will, that students need to be successful today. The XQ Institute has sponsored something called the Super Schools Initiative, and it was an open call to all of America to reinvent the American high school. Mm. And what's been beautiful about it is almost uh, 50,000 people raised their hand to help, of course, teachers and educators, but also engineers, tech people, startup people, artists, photographers, journalists, and they formed local teams to invent local high schools, and it's been a kind of competition to find the, the model high schools of the future. Mm. Um, our involvement has been to bring uh, this ability to lead into the unknown, help all of these teams um, get the knowledge they need, right. master the methods they need, um, to be able to think very differently about the American high school, to challenge the model itself. Yeah, I would imagine it's quite challenging because there are a thicket of regulations around how education is delivered. There's so much local politics uh, around that. Yeah, so, so um, the, the method really is about first starting with youth and really what youth want. So there's a whole segment where we uh, provided kits and methodologies to really get underneath student voice. You know, for, um, for the youth that are out there that are not in school because they've dropped out, school doesn't serve their real needs. Go talk to them. Understand their lives. But well. one last client, sure. um, and it's one which, you know, uh, <clears throat> I suppose I'm supposed to be a member of, and yes. uh, and I, I'm I'm ignoring the letters. Yes, yes. The AARP, yes. you mentioned. Yes, absolutely. Um, and here's a an organization that's been around a long time, has yes. a very established place in the sort of communal conscious of the world. Yeah. Um, but apparently is rethinking itself. Yeah, so, so Joanne Jenkins, CEO of ARP. What's interesting about aging is, um, think about your mental model of aging. I mean, if you'd say, what is aging? You'd say, well, it's, it's, it's a period of decline. It's about getting older. It's about doing less. It's about retirement. And that is so far disconnected to the reality of how aging happens today. I just turned 50 on September 16th. And um, 
I think for me it's about an era of reimagination, it's about new possibility, it's about doing new things with kind of a deeper wisdom. And so what, what Joanne and, and her team are doing is really challenging the entire mental model we have of aging. They have an initiative called Disrupt Aging, you can check it out on the web. And it's really about what are the practices you need to adopt as a human being to constantly adapt your life. If you think mm -hmm. about, for instance, your career, yep. uh, and John, you're a perfect example of this. A career now is not just one steady through line, it's six or seven decades of adventure. And right. each 10 years, you have a very different adventure. Um, so our work with ARP has been about helping them envision that future and mobilize the great you know, 40 million members of ARP um, uh, to embrace and think about these ideas and to take this kind of disruptive thought that aging can be an age of renaissance and make that the foundation of how people think about it. Um, mm -hmm. 50 plus people, um, if you add us up all over the world, are the third largest economic superpower in the world. Mm. And it's time that we bring innovation and thought and brands and business and new policies to that, that vast so when group. So when she approached you to help her, yes. was it, um, okay, the, the brand's here, I want it to mean this over here, how do I get there? Do you have a process? Yeah, uh, we do definitely have a process. Um, things, um, out, there's lots of outside partners companies can work with. And if I go again to unknown problem and unknown solution, our method is really a method of discovery. It's not, um, here's a problem, here's a solution, or here's a problem, here's what someone else did. Almost all of the things we work on are, are new ways of conceiving of things. And so our method really first is to, to go in and deeply understand what's going on side by side. So we're, we're not an outside force or a consultant that comes in and gives you an answer or, or prescribes anything. We discover it with you. To draw some insights from you, you've sure. worked with so many different, particularly large organizations yeah, very lucky. as yeah. they've transformed. Yeah. What do you see are obstacles that keep coming up yeah. in the behaviors of large corporations and their leaders that, yeah. that you, you can identify and say, oh, you're, you're, you're doing it again. <laughs> Get out of your yeah, own. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm a big fan of trying to dissect mental model. So, so there's, um, there's been a 40, 50 year era where um, cost cutting and best proce uh, practice and process orientation have been the dominant mental model of training in business. So who does it well? What's that best practice? Can we implement that in our company? Right. Can we use it to squeeze out you know, costs so right. we can deliver to the share owner? There's been also a real dominance of share owner value as the primary metric for the success of a business. And so I think I'd answer your question by saying I think actually the mental model is changing. That um, really, this is about serving all constituents well. This is about needing to do, it's very much more Howard Schultz. It's what are all right. the things you need to do in order to get the performance. And I would say that because so many companies have squeezed all the cost out, now it's about what makes us unique, yeah. what makes us differentiated, what makes us covetable, um, what, what makes us something that people want to work at and associate right. with and buy our products and services. Right. And a lot of that today, because information is all pervasive and everyone has access to the same data, requires originality and creativity and this ability to lead into the unknown. Yeah. So to me, what happens is when everyone gets stuck in the first mental model, where they keep searching for an answer in the known. Mm -hmm. They keep searching for an answer by copying someone else. 
they keep searching for an answer by cutting cost. Rather than what I think leaders really need to do is to dig much deeper into, I need to be creative, I need to start this from a humanity perspective, right. I need to be authentic in how I communicate and mobilize not just my own employees, but the broader, yeah. that broader ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and I got to bring creativity to everything. So yeah, this, this theme of creativity yes. comes up again and again in our conversations. Yes. And how do you in, you know, encourage an employee base or leaders to be creative while at the same time, you know, hitting the goals that they have to hit to, to continue the you know, health of the business? It's a great question, and I think the answer resides in the relationship to those two things. So employees and kind of hitting your targets, it's through the ingenuity and creativity of your employees is how performance happens. It's not tell them to perform and maybe they can be creative. This is a very different approach to business than 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I think purposefully so. To, to me, the, the whole era of kind of manufacturing-based perfection um, we, we wrote its course beautifully and lovely. I don't think yeah. anything was wrong with it. Right. But now that you've squeezed almost all of the cost out, now what? Yeah. And so I think we're inventing a new kind of leadership or the next kind of leadership yeah. Yeah. to do that. Consultants, of which I guess broadly one could argue that's what your business sure. does, sure. sometimes get a bad rap because they come in with these great ideas and get everyone all excited and then they leave. <laughs> yeah, sure. So how do you maintain continuity with a client? Yeah, so um, to, to me the whole point of us engaging is actually at some point to leave, um, but to leave when the organization has built this great culture, has defined that direction, this kind of emergent direction, mm -hmm. and has kind of worked on the behaviors so it sustains, it is enriched, it, it propels itself on its own. Mm -hmm. So uh, technically we are consultants, but I think first and foremost we're about um, transformation of human beings. Right. And that is about how you self-conceive, how you show up, what your behaviors are, how you interact, what you take pride in, what you focus on, as well as what your strategy is. Thank you very much for You're coming. You're welcome, on. John. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to our sponsor, EY, for their support of our first season of the Shift Dialogue podcast. EY, building a better working world.